Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Jude chapter 1, the book of Jude chapter 1. We continue our study through the New Testament. Now, the book of Jude is written around 68 AD. At this particular moment in time, it's a very, very dangerous time for Christians. To be a believer in 68 AD, very, very dangerous time. And also in this particular moment, the, the church is about ready to take a heavy blow. Brother Paul, Brother Peter, they're about to be martyred. If it hasn't happened already, they're about to be martyred. And, you know, they are several of many because to be a Christian, it's life-threatening to be a Christian in 68 AD. And what's so beautiful is that the Lord has overseers in place to continue in the good work, working in the vast field, tending to holy matters. And Brother Jude is such a person. And so we begin our study here in verse 1. We see here, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, for me personally, I don't get overly concerned to a high degree of, you know, the particular, you know, because there's multiple Jameses in the Bible. There's multiple, there's several different ones. And so I don't get overly concerned about, you know, debating, well, you know, Jude is this person's brother or Jude is this person's brother because it eventually turns carnal. It starts carnal most of the time, but it's sad to see happen where you see these debates happen, but for me, I don't engage in those type of debates. What I do know is that Brother Jude, he's a qualified overseer, and in obedience to the Lord and inspired of the Spirit, he writes a letter. And we see here in verse 1, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Now, it's easy to read through verse 1 and just gloss over without proper perspective. It's easy to just gloss over. Like, hey, those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. And I, I, I get that. It's easy to, 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 to just gloss over it. But number one, understand it's very, very dangerous time to be a believer in Jesus. 68 AD. Very, very dangerous. Life-threatening. What was happening is that Christians in 68 AD, they're in the crosshairs. We're in the crosshairs of Rome and the religious leaders, where Caesar was considered to be God. And to publicly speak against Caesar being God, that was treasonous. That was treasonous. And Christians were being captured and saints were being apprehended and asked, you know, who is Lord? You say Caesar is Lord, you get to live. You get to go home, you know, have dinner, go to sleep, wake up, have breakfast. You, you know, everything continues. The status quo. You say Caesar is Lord, you get to live. But then they put the sword to your throat and say, who is Lord? And you say Jesus is Lord. You know what happens? They kill you. Right then and there, they kill you or they, they arrest you and they save you and they put you in the games. They, 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 they put you in their holding quarters and they put you in the games. And that's where you'd be killed for sport, for entertainment, killed by bears, killed by lions. And that's what they did to the early church, early Christians. And what they did to women and children, unspeakable things, rape, gang rape. And it was all for sport, all for show, all for, you know, they, you know, they have the men and women and children and, you know, for, they'd have the women, they would rape the women and then they would let out the animals, let out the bears, let out the lions. And so you'd have Christians, our early brothers, our early sisters torn apart, ripped apart, eaten. 
That's the history of the church. The history of the church. And a lot of times, you know, Christians, we like to think about, you know, well, you know, Daniel was saved from the lions. Daniel was saved from the lions. And look, he was in the lion's den and things were fine. But don't forget, lions ate Christians. Don't forget. And so let's say you and me, for example, let's say we're believers in this particular environment. So we get in my time machine. You and me, we get in my time machine and we go back in time. We go back in the day to 68 AD and you and me, we're believers and we reside in Antioch. And the cost of being a believer in Judea, it was already heavy, but there was the diaspora. And now it's heavier, the cost of being a Christian. Now it's heavier where, you know, Christians fled Judea because it was very dangerous in Judea. And so what's happening is you and me, we're in the crosshairs of many factions of culture. The religious leaders, the non-religious leaders, the politicians, not a friendly time for Christians. They just don't like us. And in this environment, you and me, we're in Antioch. We have to be very wise in our conduct. The the, the place where we live, they could report us, hey, Christians live over there. And then there's something else. And if, if that's not enough, there's more. It gets worse. The former shepherds have become wolves. And instead of protecting the flock, they bring harm to the flock. This is something that Paul warned about. Remember in Acts 20, when he says, after my departure, he says, I know this. After my departure, speaking to the the shepherds, the overseers, those called by the Spirit to be overseers. And Brother Paul says, I know this, that after my departure... The wolves are going to come in, and he says, even from among yourselves, some of you are going to turn into wolves. You see? And of these shepherds who become wolves, Brother Paul also warns and says that they stray concerning truth. And the message that they have spreads like cancer. And this is what Paul warns young Pastor Timothy about in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And he says to young Pastor Timothy, he says, such men overthrow faith. And if that's, you know, to to complicate matters and make things even worse, understand that saints are leaving sound doctrine where, you know, in this particular moment in time, saints in Asia have abandoned Paul. All the saints in Asia have abandoned Paul. That's from 2 Timothy chapter 1. Even the inner circles are leaving leaving sound doctrine. Remember Demas, who was in the tiny bubble of Paul? The state of the church is a mess. Now, we're kind of doing a conglomeration of like all a whole bunch of studies. I mean, from our study in the book of Acts and Corinthians and, you know, the pastoral epistles, what Paul writes to the pastors. But when you look at this particular time frame, there, it's a major shakeup happening. Everywhere we look, remember in this example, we're, we're, we're giving you and me, we get in my time machine and we're residents of Antioch. And it's very, very dangerous for us to be a Christian, to be Christians. The church is in a mess. Every, every, everywhere we look, there are threats 
against us. Everywhere we go, threats against us. Religious leaders, they've become antichrist and they want us dead. Political leaders, they become antichrist and they want us dead. Church leaders, they become antichrist and we're the bad guys. Saints, Christians, submitting themselves to the wrong leaders, faith has become overthrown. Remember Alexander and Hymenaeus? Wrong formula, wrong leaders. You cannot submit yourself to an Alexander or a Hymenaeus type. Well, you know, you you can, but don't. The Bible says, you know, don't do that. But, you know, the Lord doesn't make us robots. We have a choice to make. You see? And so you and me, we're in Antioch. And we're adamantly on the side of Paul. And someone tells us, hey, wait a second. Have you guys heard? Paul has been beheaded. What is happening? Everywhere we look, everywhere we go. The cost of being a Christian, it's getting heavier and heavier and heavier. The religious leaders, political leaders, church leaders, saints even, people are abandoning abandoning the faith. And then we catch word, hey, Paul has been beheaded. And some people are rejoicing. Some people are happy because, oh, Paul, he's so mean. He's so mean. He kicked me out of church. He says, you know, you know, so what if I was doing my sex? So what if I was doing my alcohol? So what if I was doing my extortion? Paul called me leaven. He's so mean. That's not loving. And then they're rejoicing. Paul's been beheaded and people are happy about it. And you and me in this example, we're residents in Antioch. And we're kind of like in an underground underground mode. Because, you know, it's very dangerous to be a Christian. And so, wow, Paul, Paul's been beheaded. And we're brokenhearted. We have to find Peter. We have to find Peter. Then someone tells us, hey, have you guys heard? Peter's been killed too. Oh, my goodness. You see? And so we go to a church gathering, but this isn't the mega church. You know, the mega church, it's approved by culture and those who have left the faith and all these people go there. But we go to a gathering of the remnant and everybody's hurting. We're all hurting and we're hurting bad. Everywhere we look, it appears as though we're losing. So we're in this Small, tiny fellowship. Less than 10. Tiny fellowship. And we meet in secret. We meet underground. Because it's very dangerous to be a Christian. We gather there. Everybody's crying. Oh, did you hear about Paul? Oh my goodness. Did you hear about Peter? Oh my goodness. And we're just shaken to the core. We're hurting. And then someone says, hey, guys, we got a letter from Jude. Then, you know, some people look around. Who's Jude? Who's Jude? I've only heard of Paul. I've only heard of Peter. Who's Jude? And then somebody says, oh, he wrote to us not too long ago about our common salvation in Jesus. Oh, yeah, I remember Jude now. 
And so sometimes we look at verse 1 here and it's like, oh yeah, you know, you know, to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. And, you know, to, to, to read that and just gloss over it like, okay, you know, those who are called, okay, sanctified by God, okay, preserved in Jesus Christ, okay. But when you look at the nuts and bolts of what's happening in 68 AD in this particular era of time, it's, it's heavy. It's very heavy. And when we see and we look at the Greek translation, what Brother Jude is saying to those who are invited, purified, consecrated, and made holy, and preserved. And this word for preserved, it's a military term. It's to be guarded and kept. To be guarded and kept. Now, carnally speaking, it seems laughable. It seems laughable, carnally speaking, because, you know, saints were being hunted. Our numbers are dwindling. Our teachers and pastors are being killed. And Brother Jude says, preserved in Jesus Christ, to be guarded and kept in Jesus Christ. But remember, we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. And understand that spiritually, these words provide comfort. You know why? Because we're abiding in Christ. We're abiding in Christ. I mean, carnally speaking, it's like, wait a second, to be guarded in Jesus Christ? We're being hunted. We're being hunted straight up. We're being killed. We're being captured. But spiritually... It's like, wow, we're guarded in Christ. Abiding in Christ. Called and sanctified by God the Father. Preserved in Jesus Christ. You see, there's a confidence. A confidence. It's afforded only to the remnant. Only to the remnant. It's not carnal. It's not a carnal confidence. You know, it's not a confidence that is unfounded on truth or outside of truth. No, it's the exact opposite. It's founded strictly on truth. Strictly on truth. And it's holy. And it's afforded only to the remnant. Only. And Brother Jude, he says, mercy Peace and love be multiplied to you. Remember in the example we gave where we get in my time machine, we go to Antioch? We're hurting. We're hurting, rightfully so, because we're taking hits left and right, devastating blows. And we're like, oh my goodness, we have to find Paul. What does Paul think? What does Paul say? What is, what, what is his word for us? What is it? And it's all, oh, oh, Paul's dead. We got to find Peter. Hey, Peter's dead. And then Brother Jude's letter comes. He says, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. You see, the words are like medicine to our souls. Like medicine to our souls. The body caring for the body. More specifically, the remnant caring for the remnant. He continues here in verse 3 and says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. You see, Brother Jude's prior letters were that of common salvation. And that, you know, it's 
he's faithful and diligent to 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 do so in service and obedience to Jesus and write about our common salvation and that's a beautiful thing but now there's a shift now there's a shift not a shift away from truth but a shift that further helps us abide in truth where before there were letters of brother jude letters of common salvation but now He says, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. You see, before, okay, wrote about the common salvation. That's not a bad thing. It's beautiful. But now, 68 AD, at this particular juncture where the cost of being a Christian is a lot heavier than it was in 35 AD, now Brother Jude, inspired of the Spirit, is writing to exhort us to contend earnestly for the faith. Contend earnestly, which is contend, fervently fight, and struggle for the faith. You see? Remember, 68 AD, there's a major, major tsunami which is wreaking havoc in the church. And Brother Jude is explaining, it's our time to struggle. It's our time to fervently fight. Because the things that Brother Paul warned us about, the things that Brother Peter warned us about, they've happened. They've happened when Paul wrote his letters and warned us about the false teachers. When Peter wrote his letters and warned us about the false teachers. And now with Brother Jude, look at what he says here in verse 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed. Whoa, you see? And Paul had his role. Peter had his role. Titans in the faith. And praise be to the Lord that the, that the Lord has call, had called them to serve him in this capacity, intending for the, to the flock of God and caring for the saints. And Jude continues. You see? Jude continues in this work. And how the Lord has these faithful shepherds all through time. All through time, I mean, look at in our study in 1 Samuel. Look at the defunct. And when there's no widespread revelation, you look at the defunct. It's like, well, how can the Lord, how can the Lord, you know, in Eli and his sons? Oh, but they're the priests, they're the priests. I know they're the priests, but look at them. And then you see little Samuel, how the Lord raises up a person, you see? And don't forget mama. And praise be to the Lord because that's this. Remember Amos? Amos is like straight up, you know, I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. And the Lord says, hey, Amos, surprise, you're a prophet. And it's just like Brother Jude in service unto the Lord. And he warns in verse 4, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. You know what's so sad? I mean, there's a, a lot of sorrow upon sorrow in these last days that we live in. But it's so sad to see churches focus on numbers in these last days. 
And you hear pastors. We want to bring Jesus to as many people as possible. But understand, there's nothing wrong with that desire. But there must be qualified overseers in place because of what can be unnoticed or who can be unnoticed. Who and what can creep inside? You see? It's a beautiful thing, you know, to to bring Jesus to the multitudes. That's a beautiful thing. But at the same time, we have to understand. Well, what, what can creep in? What can creep in? Paul and Peter warned this would happen. And Brother Jude is saying, hey, guys, it's underway. It's happening. And Brother Jude says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul said in our study in Romans, if you've been walking with us for a while? Do you remember our study in the the, the book of Romans? I mean, Paul just straight up says, should we sin more so that grace can abound? He says, no way, exclamation point, remember? Never, ever, ever take advantage of God's grace. Never. Because that's the path of foolishness. That's the path of the wicked. Our freedom in Christ is never license for vice. And we see here in verse 4, its impact It's a denial of God the Father and God the Son. That's what Brother Jude is talking about. Who turn, you know, ungodly men here in verse 4, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's why you and me were told to reckon the old man dead. It's why we're told to reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead, and it's why we do so. You see, sex, drugs, alcohol, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. That's the old guy. That's the old lady who's been dead in Christ. You see, remember when Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives who lives in me. And praise be to the Lord. But let's not forget, that's what Paul says of himself. I am crucified with Christ. It's not to say that we can't say it of ourselves too, but it better be true. Because if a person says, you know what? I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. Come on, let's go do our sex. Let's go do our alcohol. Let's go get baked tonight. Let's go do our whiskey. I got the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. If a person wants to see, live that way, it's like, hold on a second. I don't see crucifixion. There is no crucifixion. Oh, but the Bible says I'm crucified with Christ. That's what Paul says of himself, brother. You see, a brother says, hey, come on, let's go get baked tonight. I got the finest crack from Chiapas. No, 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 that's the old man. You see? 
very important to understand. When Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And praise be to the Lord when you and me can say and utter the exact same thing. But it also necessitates another truth, that the old nature, the old man, the old woman, hey, that person's dead. That is the old nature. That is the old man. The sex, the drugs, the whiskey, the alcohol, the whole nine yards, those days are over. You see? Because if a person wants to do their sex and drugs and alcohol and say, hey, I'm crucified with Christ, I'm crucified with Christ, you know what that is? That's leaven. That's something the Bible says we have to separate from. Very important to understand. And so we see here in verse 5, Brother Jude, he says in verse 5, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, and see, Brother Brother Jude, he's simply reminding us, simply reminding us. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. It's a very sobering reality. Very, very sobering reality. But let's not forget who God is. Let's not forget who He is. Yes, we serve a God of love. We cannot forget that He is also just. And He is holy. Out of Egypt He saved. And also out of Egypt He destroyed. People don't like to remember that last part. They don't like to remember You see, freedom from bondage is a good thing. But what about when the Lord instructs about how a person returns to bondage? What about the unseen slave master and I speak of sin? You see, today, today, everyone decries slavery, rightfully so. But they do so while wearing the shackles of sex and drugs and alcohol and witchcraft and all things that bring a person into bondage. These are the very shackles that a person themselves put on. You see? Using our freedom in Christ as license for sin? Taking advantage of God's grace? That is not a good thing. Oh, I'm free in Christ. I'm free in Christ. Therefore, I can partake of the sex and the drugs and the alcohol. And this is what Jude is reminding us about. That such people turn God's grace into lewdness. And such people are condemned. The exact same way we see in the Old Testament in Torah. When we understand that Condemnation isn't reserved for the ungodly of mankind exclusively. Look at verse 6. Look what Brother Jude says here in verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Whoa. It's very interesting to see that Even in the angelic realm, we see egregious disobedience. 
And we know of fallen angels, but it's very interesting to see a certain type who were already in everlasting chains awaiting judgment. A very, very high degree of evil because they're already in their chains. Very interesting what we see. Notice what Brother Jude is pointing to. In verse 7, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality. Very interesting that we see of these angels in verse 6 that they're already in their everlasting chains. But then we see as reference with Sodom and Gomorrah, we see the sexual nature of things. Very interesting. In this high degree of evil. There was a time when I had a conversation with a convicted child molester. Sexual perversions upon children. And for me personally, I have to be very careful with certain subject matters. This is one of them. Because when it comes to child molesters, for me, I want to be judge, jury, and executioner. And I have to be very careful. But this particular individual, he proceeds to tell me about how his addiction to pornography got worse and worse and worse. And it got him to the point where children were, you know, the, the, the objectification, it went to children. Understand, there's a degenerative aspect to pornography. It rots the soul. It rots the soul straight up. And it's a huge problem in the church today. Now, remember in verse 6 when Brother Jude, when he starts to mention this high degree of evil and fallen angels who are already in chains? Well, in these last days that we presently reside in, we see something at work in the demonic realm. And it's a boldness to evil. And Satan knows his time is short. Prophetically speaking, you know, Satan knows his time is short. And the Bible speaks about this rise of the Antichrist spirit. And eventually Satan will find his host. And there will be a boldness to evil. But what does that look like? And the very first thing that Brother Jude mentions is sexual immorality bringing up Sodom and Gomorrah. And in sexual immorality, the Greek word is ekporneo. It's a person who have given themselves over, or people who have given themselves over to fornication and indulgence of lust. Ekporneo. Porneo. Very interesting. And Brother Jude here in verse 7, given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. And today, in these present days that we live in, we see a rise in things unnatural. When it comes to sexual deviancies, the sexualization of children, bestiality, sex with animals. And people are wondering what is happening. 
And it's completely understandable. And you see, you know, they try to have politicians, they rail against politicians and they, oh, you know, we got to do this and we got to do this. And, you know, at the library, public libraries, we have to have these story hours and we got to combat this with this. And it's completely understandable to want answers. Who doesn't want answers? But let me tell you what's really happening. There is a rise in demonic boldness. And it's reaching levels seen in times past, right before God's judgment. Activity of the Nephilim. Powerful, powerful influences. Demonic. Possession, demonic possession. These are things that have happened before. You see? Our Lord Jesus himself likens the last days to the days of Noah. Demonic activity in the realm of men. Angels who didn't stick to their natural abode. These are the very things that Brother Jude is telling us about. See, people want answers. They're going to their politicians and saying, hey, you know, we got to do this or, you know, we didn't vote this. We didn't vote for this. Listen, you can't vote this away. Because it's spiritual. You can't vote this away. It's supernatural. Yes, we fight, but we fight the good fight and the weapons are not carnal. Very rarely do I speak of Nephilim. Very rarely. And the reason is for your safety. Because a lot of people in speaking about Nephilim and wanting to know more, they cite sources that are outside the canon of scripture. They go to the book of Enoch. They go to the Apocrypha. And you might say, well, the Catholics do it. Well, there you go. That's my point. Look at them. Their doctrine is outside of Christ and it is unsafe. But these are things that are unavoidable today. You know why? Because it's in our face. Very, very powerful demonic forces. Very powerful, very strong. And warfare now, it's becoming kinetic. On their part, kinetic. On our part, our fight is still non-carnal. I mean, on top of what the last day's generation has to face with a lot of similarities to 68 AD, a lot of similarities and the rise of the Antichrist spirit, ultimately giving way to the, when Satan finds his host, but the Antichrist himself. But also understand that the last day's generation is also going to contend with natural disasters. Phenomena described in Bible prophecy. And it breaks my heart. You know why? Because very few are equipped for the times. Where are the pastors? Where are the pastors? Sons of Issachar, where are they? There's a reason why the Bible says woe to the inhabitants of the earth. 
very important to understand. Nothing new under the sun. And Brother Jude, when he speaks of these angels judged by God that are already in their everlasting chains, all of a sudden what he does, you know, give, uh, he, he points to the sexual immorality going after strange flesh. And Brother Jude, in speaking in verse 7, he says, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers, some translations say filthy dreamers, defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Speak evil of doxa in the Greek Speak evil of, you know how it translates doxa? Glory. Glory. Speak evil of things rendered glorious. And I speak only to the remnant in saying this. If just you and me were to have fellowship, there are glorious things that we would discuss and most likely you and me, we'd be in tears because our earth suits simply can't handle it. We'd have difficulty with the high magnitudes of glorious things that we would discuss and we would rejoice and we would be joyful and our time together in fellowship would be beautiful. I mean... Part of me gets teary-eyed already just at the thought of us being together in fellowship. But understand the world? The world cannot comprehend the light. The things that bring us joy. The world would speak evil of the very things that we hold dear. And even in the church... Remember, I speak only to the remnant in saying this. In the earlier example where you and me are in a remnant church in Antioch, townspeople are happy that Peter and Paul are dead. They're happy. Oh, Peter, he was so mean. Oh, Paul, he was so mean. He called me Levin. He called me Levin because I wanted to do the sex with my dad's wife. Us, you and me, we're hurting. It hurts. It's the ungodly who speak evil of glorious things. And as Brother Jude says here, they reject authority. They defile the flesh. Understand there's a supernatural aspect Everything, I mean, what's behind what we can see with human eye? Oh, this person rejects authority. Oh, look, she rejects authority. So they have their sexual deviancies. They defile the flesh. But understand, there's the supernatural aspect. The rising demonic force. And a boldness to this demonic force. Powerful demonic forces. And people, you know, they want to go and talk to their politicians. They want to go and talk to their elected officials. 
They want to go and picket. They want to go and protest and protest and protest instead of falling on our faces as a nation and repenting and seeking the face of the Lord. You see, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, you see, the Lord says, I will heal your land. But for a person to humble, humble themselves, that's a big deal. That's a big step. It's righteousness that exalts a nation. Understand, there's a supernatural. There's the spirit realm. And there's a rise to evil. It's happening. Satan knows his time is short. It's happening. It's not, I, we can't say it's coming. It's here. The rise to the demonic forces, and it's powerful, very powerful. Where are the warriors? Where are the ones to wage war and fight the good fight? Not carnally, when I say wage war, not carnally. Not Old Testament rules of engagement. No, we are people of the new covenant. And we fight on our knees. And we as a nation falling to our faces. And seeking the Lord. You see. And look what Brother Jude says here. In verse 9. He says, yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil. You see, Michael, he wasn't an average angel. He's archangel, obedient to the Lord. And understand, in the angelic realm, there's a hierarchy that we see. And Michael is on the higher echelon. And even with him, when he fought Lucifer, in verse 9, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation. Now, if you remember our study in Deuteronomy chapter 34, we know that the Lord buried Moses. But there was a battle over the body of Moses. And Michael, in contending, he dared not bring against Lucifer a reviling accusation. He dared not. Now, in the warrior class, according to the flesh, there is an element of bravado that is evident. But that's not how we fight. That's not how you and me fight. And with Michael, he dared not fight like that. How did Michael fight? We see what Brother Jude, Brother Jude says. He, Michael, the archangel, dared not bring against them a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. That's it. That's it. And sometimes you see people pray to Michael. Understand, that's forbidden. That's forbidden. The Bible forbids you and me. The Bible forbids us from praying to angels. You see, the Catholics do it. If you're Catholic and you're listening, listen, repent and leave that sect. It is unbiblical. Leave. And sometimes you see people, they pray to the Holy Spirit. 
Listen, we pray in the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit, but it's to God the Father in the name of Jesus or to Jesus in His name. That's how we pray. Remember, the pneumos in our earlier studies, remember? The sons of Siva were open to the pneumos, except they were defeated. Paul was open to the pneumos, and he fought valiantly. You see, what's the difference? Formula. Formula. It's got to be right. Formula has to be right all around. It has to be right in you. It has to be right in me. We go to fellowship. Formula has to be right in, in the fellowship, always accounting for babies. Formula has to be right in leaders, in our pastors, in the elders. The formula has to be right for effectuation. You see? And Brother Jude, he continues in verse 10. He says, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves, you see. In a very basic level of formula, the doctrine must be sound. Doctrine must be sound. Because the Calvinist can speak of spiritual warfare, but they're going to lose. The Lutheran can speak of spiritual warfare, but they're going to lose. Look at the state of the church today. It's a mess. Straight up, it's a mess. What's crept in? What's been unnoticed? Where are the overseers? Are they not overseeing? Are they defunct? Are they indeed disqualified? You see? The events of the last days, they're only going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And the war ahead of us, the war that's just around the bend. I mean, it's already started, but it's only intensifying. And with greater intensity is each week, each month. It's turning kinetic now. Christians, we're going to take casualties. It's a fierce war, a fierce fight. And leadership matters. Remember the Old Testament, leadership under Moses? That's good. Leadership under Joshua and the elders? Hey, that's good. But the subsequent generations that no longer remember the Lord? Then you start to see Israel lose battles, lose fights. You see, wrong formula. And nothing new under the sun. The same thing happens to Christians today. Wrong formula? Hey, don't go to war. The formula has to be right. Very important to understand. And it's one thing to say, okay, you know, don't go to war. Don't go to war. But hey, the wars, we don't have to go to war. Hey, it's coming to us. Remember what Jesus says when a person is freed in Christ and praise be to the Lord, a demon leaves a person, but the demon doesn't leave and stay, stays away. No. Jesus says the demon's going to come back. And the demon's going to come back not alone. He's going to come back with his friends. Demons that are worse than him. You see? And if that person isn't ready for that fight, 
Jesus says the state of that person is worse than the first. You ever see a person who's, you know, he's addicted to marijuana? He's addicted to marijuana and then becomes a Christian and he gets his life cleaned up. And it's like, wow, praise the Lord. But then, you know, like two years later, you meet him again, you see him again. And all of a sudden he's like, you know, back on the on the marijuana. He's a crackhead now. He does the meth and all these things. His teeth are gone, you know, his, his skin is all like weird. And it's like, whoa, what happened? I thought you were a Christian. What happened, brother? And the person starts to explain, oh, yeah, I went to this church over here. And they were really nice. They were really nice. But then, you know, I got caught up in this lifestyle and this and that and this and that. And and then the person realizes, like, well, you, you submitted yourself to the wrong pastor. Because the pastor that you submitted to was disqualified. He didn't train you. He didn't equip you. He didn't teach you how to fight. Because the demon left you when you when you were free in Christ. The demon, the, you know, the, he left you. And praise be to the Lord because your life was cleaned up. But those demons came back. Or that demon came back and brought his friends. And now instead of the marijuana, now it's the crack, it's the meth, it's the goofballs, it's all kind. Now you're cooking spoons and now you're doing the lines and now your teeth are gone and this and that. And I can't call you brother anymore. You see? It's happening. And Jesus says, no, don't go on spiritual vacation. The word in the Greek is spiritual vacation. You don't go on spiritual vacation. No, I mean, it's like straight up like, you know, you, you ever, you know, I have a friend of mine. He's like a, a professional fighter and he's always working out, always, always, always working out because, you know, they might call him up for a fight. You know, they might do whatever. And it's like he's always working out. And it's such a trip because it's like, well, what about our lives? What about our lives? Always training. Always, you know, in the word of God, studying the word of God. Our prayer life before the Lord. Always seeking the face of the Lord. Because the demonic realm, it's not just that they're going to come back. It's true that they're going to come back. But in the last days, there's a rise to their boldness because they know their time is short. There's a rise to their boldness that matches the days of Noah. And those demons, they're already, they're, they're already in chains. But the demons of the last days, it matches that level of evil. Sexual sin, the influence upon mankind. Sexual sin. Things that are unnatural. And we see it happening. And you see Christians picketing. You see Christians in protest. But you never see Christians on their faces repenting. You see? Where are the warriors of the last days? Where are the fighters of the last days? That's what I want to know. Where are the pastors? 
We're the men of God to train, to equip, to teach. You see? In verse 11, Brother Jude says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. Very interesting. Remember what Brother John says of Cain in 1 John chapter 3? His works were evil. Remember? Just study that not too long ago. 1 John chapter 3. His works were evil. Brother Jude says, Woe to them, they've gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit. Remember Balaam in our study in the book of Numbers? He started out well. He started out well. He talked with God. Things were fine. He started out well. and Then we look at Balak as a type of Satan. The seductive nature of deception and Balaam started out well, but he finished miserably among the dead. Brother Jude says, Woe to them, for they've gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Remember Korah? Remember Korah? Korah proclaimed, oh, God doesn't speak through Moses, only look. And people were following Korah, oh, God speaks through Korah, God speaks through Korah. And people who followed Korah, what happened to them? They died. Men, women, children. God is no respecter of persons. He's not mocked. He's not mocked, nor is he slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness. But he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He is the one that has provided the means and the way for safety, and it's only found in his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Only. One way. Jesus and if that's you, you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's Jesus, the ark of our time. For these days of Noah that we presently live in, the ark of our time is Jesus Christ. You want to commit your life to Jesus right now? You know what you do? You hit pause. You listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ. You come back. You listen. We grow together. It's so simple. It's very simple. Very simple. Remember, Jesus is the one who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't say, hey, believe in me. And then, hey, you got to pass this calculus exam. No, he doesn't do that. People turn it into that, but they're fools. Pastors turn it into that, but they're fools. They have no business being pastors. No, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He makes it easy. It's so simple. We're living in the last days. And not to suggest that there was ever a time to play games with the Lord. No, never play games with the Lord. But even more so in these last days. 
And I've had these conversations with non-believers. And they're wondering like, wow, what's happening in the world? Everybody wants answers. What's happening? I mean, like, wow, it's like, wow, I just moved to this city, you know, 10 years ago. And wow, like already this city, there's like all this wanton crime and this sexual deviancies and all these things. But to talk to a person and say, hey, listen, it's demonic. It's demonic because they know their time is short. They know that Jesus is coming. And you might be listening like, you know what? Like, wow, you know, I go to this politician and he doesn't have answers. I go to this politician and she doesn't have answers. I go over here, I go over there and nobody has answers. But then like you see the rise in evil. And I have these conversations where people are like wondering like, wow, you know what? Maybe there's something to this Bible. You come to Christ. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And God so loves the world. God so loves you. Very important. Nothing new under the sun. The rebellion of Korah, it's still happening today. Running greedily in the air of Balaam, it's still happening today. Going the way of Cain, it's still happening today. I mean, you look at the gap of time between, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the book of Genesis and Cain. The book of Numbers and Balaam and Korah into, you know, in Jude chapter 1, 68 AD. How can this be? How could a person go the, way the, go the way of Cain when Cain has died? How can a person go the way of Balaam when Balaam has died? How can a person go the way of Korah when Korah has died? It's spiritual. You see? This is what Brother Jude is warning the remnant. Look at verse 12. These are spots in your love feasts. Very interesting what we see. They're on the inside. The very things that Paul and Peter warned about, Brother Jude is explaining, hey, they're here. You see? Remember our studies in Torah, in the Old Testament? Nothing mangy. How many times do you remember us speaking of these things in our study in Leviticus? Nothing mangy, nothing mangy, nothing mangy. And inside the church here in verse 12, there are spot, these are spots in your love feasts. We see mangy, we see blemishes. These are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when there's no fear of the Lord, this is not a good thing. No one can mandate the Christian life. A pastor can't mandate behaviors. But pastors can teach and pastors can be examples. And pastors are to respond accordingly to leaven. 
And in a church fellowship, I'll tell you what should be seen in a church fellowship. It's very simple. A return to innocence. That's it. That's what should be seen. A return to innocence. Where a person is strung out on drugs and he can walk into the church, he can become a believer, and in the course of time, he'll return to innocence. And he becomes healed, cleaned, purified, and holy. You see? A prostitute. Same thing. She can be strung out on all the sex and come into church, become a believer, and in the course of time, she too becomes healed, cleaned, purified, and holy. Look what God did to Rahab. A prostitute. A prostitute who committed her life to the Lord. Listen to our study through the book of Ruth. You'll understand more. What the Lord can do to anyone. To you, to me, to all who believe. But it doesn't happen to everyone. Not everyone returns to innocence. Not everyone becomes holy. And this is what Brother Jude is explaining. Problems with love feasts, blemishes, spots, leaven. They are clouds without water, he says. Have you ever been in fellowship with another believer? And it's indescribable. It's indescribable because it's just a straight up love feast. You love the company. You love the conversation. You love the holiness. You love the innocence. It's like the cool, gentle rain on a summer afternoon. It's beautiful. Clouds that have water. Clouds that have water. It's like, wow, this is so beautiful. And it feels like home. But then you have fellowship with another believer and you don't have that same feeling. In fact, you get the creeps. You get the heebie-jeebies. And the person speaks Christianese. They speak, you know, one might assume things are fine. But it doesn't feel like home. It just feels like, you know what? Get me out of here. And a lot of times Christians are told that they're the problem. And often it's by pastors who speak on things they know nothing about. Pastors who say, you're supposed to love, you're supposed to love. And part of the walk of a believer, understand, is absolutely to love. It's the greatest gift. But pastors never like to point to the leaven as the problem. Instead, disqualified pastors, they like to go to the remnant and guilt trip them. Hey, crazy love, crazy love, you're supposed to love. And what they don't do is they don't go to the leaven and say, Hey, repent, get rid of the crack. Hey, repent, get rid of the sex. They don't like to do that. They like to guilt trip the remnant instead of going to the leaven and say, Hey, repent, cut it out. These are the things that the remnant saints of the last days, we have to understand. 
Because a lot of Christians are confused at what's happening in the world around us. A lot of confusion when we need not be confused at all. You know what's happening? The sifting and the winnowing, it's begun. The Lord knows those who are His. It's happening. Those who are not the Lord's, Brother Jude says, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Verse 13, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Remember the earlier example where you and me, we get in my time machine and we're among the remnant of Antioch and we're rocked to the core, straight up, just rocked to the core. And we're even scared. We're scared. We're, we're frightened. Christians are in the crosshairs. We're being hunted. And we're living discreetly in an underground manner. And we, 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 we meet in fellowship and it's not a huge fellowship, less than 10 and our numbers used to be more, but now we're, say, five people, a total of five people. Some of our numbers have been murdered, raped, eaten by lions. Some have abandoned the faith and joined the megachurch down the street. Some in the megachurch, they... They rejoice that Paul is dead. Oh, he was so mean. He called me leaven because I did the sex with my dad's wife. He called me. He, he says I was leaven because I did the extortion. Oh, he was so mean. People are rejoicing that Peter is dead. Oh, good riddance. He always spoke about God's judgment and God doesn't judge. God is a God of love. And people are rejoicing. Good riddance. Peter and Paul are dead. And as we're in shock and we're scared, we're being hunted. Our numbers are getting smaller. The turn of culture is growing more and more antichrist. And then we get a letter from Jude. And we begin to remember, oh yeah. Oh yeah, Paul did mention this would happen. Oh yeah, Peter did. He told us of these things. And so Brother Jude continues here in verse 14. In verse 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints, 10,000s of his saints. Now, remember, Enoch didn't see death. The Lord took him. Remember our study in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, by faith, his is, is, Hebrews 11, verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And of this returning multitude in Jude chapter 1 verse 14, 
Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Verse 15, to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You see, it's a time of judgment. A time of judgment. And here in these verses, you see two camps. Camp one, they're with the Lord. Camp two, the ungodly, they're on the receiving end of judgment. It's very interesting that Enoch did not see death. He was raptured by the Lord. This is why Paul was a little frustrated with the remnant of Corinth. Post-separation, when the remnant separated from the leaven, where Paul says, don't you know that we're going to judge the world? Don't you know this, guys? You see a little bit of frustration with Paul. Remember when Paul, you know, do I, re, do, do I praise you in this? No, I don't. Do I praise you in that? No, I don't. Remember, you see a little bit of frustration, Paul, with the remnant. This is after the separation. No leaven. No leaven. Very important to understand that. Further teachings. When Paul, he came into Corinth and he, on purpose... On purpose, he came with milk. But the deeper understandings, it wasn't given to the whole. It was only given to the remnant. Very important to understand. And even with the deeper understanding, Paul says, don't you know that we're going to judge the world? Don't you know that we're going to judge the angels? That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You see, Satan, he knows all about this. He wants you and me to forget and not know because he knows that God's people perish for lack of knowledge. And Satan doesn't want us to have knowledge of the truth of God's holy word. So what does he do? He muddies the water. He sends his servants who present themselves as ministers of righteousness. The very thing that Paul was, he explained his phobia. When Paul says, I'm afraid, he doesn't say, I'm afraid because of these false teachers. He says, I'm afraid for you. You're going to put up with them. You see? A little side note about the book of Enoch. The book of Enoch You'll hear people excuse the book of Enoch and even permit the book of Enoch. And they say, well, you know, Jude studied it. And they cite these verses here in verse 14 and 15 about the prophecy of Enoch. But understand, the Old Testament doesn't speak of this prophecy of Enoch. And so you have these false teachers today. And they like to say that, you know, well, Jude studied the book of Enoch and Jude's teachings are in the Bible. So therefore, the book of Enoch is okay. And what happens is that many people get sucked into the book of Enoch and then it leads to the Apocrypha. And then they get sucked into all kinds of different texts and deviations from scripture. And it goes worse and worse and worse. But just like with Brother Peter. How did, how did Brother Peter know that Noah was a preacher of righteousness? 
Because the Old Testament doesn't say Noah was a preacher of righteousness. The New Testament does. How is it that Brother Peter knew that Noah was a preacher of righteousness? I'll give you the answer, and it's simple. The Lord told him. Peter wasn't there, but the Lord was there. And the Lord told Peter. How is it that Paul's writings align with Ezekiel's writings? They didn't confer with one another. Different different eras. Same Lord, you see. How is it that Brother James aligns with Isaiah? Same Lord. And so with Jude. How does Jude know the prophecy of Enoch? The Lord told him. You see? The book of Enoch, the book of Enoch, understand and hear me out. The book of Enoch is a trap of Lucifer. I'll say that again. The book of Enoch is a trap of Lucifer because the book of Enoch, it describes an angel of repentance that grants salvation. And you know what? That's satanic. That's evil. Because the Bible says there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. It does not align with Scripture. And so you have people, they want to study the Nephilim, they want to study demons, and they want to study aliens and UFOs and ufology they want to study all these things of the demonic realm and the nephilim and in their quest for knowledge they become seduced into belief systems that are unbiblical hook line and sinker it's a trap of lucifer you see there is no angel that grants repentance That's the work of Satan. And listen, I love you more than you know. Stay away from the book of Enoch. And so Brother Jude, he continues about the ungodly here in verse 16. He says in verse 16, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Just as Satan lures, understand that he also uses his vessels to that end. And you see a lot of men today where, you know, a lady will come on to a guy, you know, and they'll use the flattering words and playing the fool, the guy, oh, wow, look, I still got it. You know, I still got the goods. Look, you know, I I look in the mirror, I look like a foot, but wow, look, I still got the goods. And he thinks he's got it. He thinks he's the stuff. But the fool doesn't realize it's a trap of Satan. And Brother Jude speaks to the remnant saint. He says in verse 17, But you, beloved, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you 
that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. And mockers here in the Greek translates as mockers, scoffers, and false teachers. The apostles, servants, messengers, and friends of Jesus, Son of the Most High, they told us these times would arrive. And here we are. Here we are. Brother Jude telling us the same thing. Remember, remember, remember. And here we are, 2023 AD, for such a time as this. Mockers, scoffers, false teachers walking according to their own lusts. In verse 19, these are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. Look at Hillsong. False teachers galore. Pastors get caught up in their sexcapades and they're still in ministry. They have not the Spirit. They have a Spirit, all right, but it's not the Holy Spirit. And Brother Jude continues teaching the remnant. But you, beloved, in verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Very interesting what we see in verse 20 and 21 here. Build yourselves, keep yourselves. Again, this can't be mandated. It cannot be mandated. But there are absolutely behavior traits of the remnant, and it's for the remnant only. People like to say, we play no role in sanctification. But it's why we like to use the shower example. Understand, we're not the water, we're not the soap, we're not the shampoo, but we still have to get inside. You see? That's if a person wants to be clean. And it's true that in a fellowship that we build one another, we build up one another, and we keep one another. But understand, the crown that awaits you, the crown that has your name on it, that's yours. That's yours. And in the last days, as Satan takes things, he's taking things kinetic. The boldness and the rise of demonic activity. The sexual nature of sin that is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Reaching the levels of things unnatural. Just like in times past in the days of Noah with the Nephilim. And things are going kinetic now. And we still fight the good fight. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they're supernatural. And very powerful. And as Satan goes kinetic, understand that he will prevail for a time, times, and half a time. 
But as Brother Jude says, we must keep ourselves in the love of God. Protect our hearts. Protecting our minds. And remembering the words of our Lord and the words of His messengers. Much, much wisdom is required for saints of the last day's generation. In verse 22, Brother Jude, he continues, he says, And on some have compassion, making a distinction, making diakrino in the Greek, which is making separation and discrimination. In the winnowing of the last days and the sifting that's already underway. Some people have already made their choice. The consequence of hell and the lake of fire, and it's, it's painful. It's painful to witness. It's painful to see. And the Bible describes the time of the end as the times of sorrows. Very painful times. But then Brother Jude says something interesting. On some having, on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And this is very specific to the last days, fisher of men and fisher of women, young and old. It's not like times past. It's different. Because now some fish will kill you and eat you alive. And culture. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. And culture has always been ugly. But in the last days, the ugliness of culture is straight up off the charts. And we see it. We see it. And it's only getting worse. And it's where the fish are. It's where the fish are. And what Jude is describing here is the last day's rescue mission. The last day's rescue mission. The last day's effort that proclaims, come out of her, my people. But others save with fear, Brother Jude says in verse 23. Pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. You see, it's that straight up rescue mission. Verse 24, in closing. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.